kind of hoping I could sit for a bit longer. Youth group this week? Youth group starts on Friday. You can all, you're all invited. Don't forget, next Sunday as well, we are into March, uh, so we'll be having our sausage sizzle uh, next Sunday if you want to uh, come along and be a part of that uh, after the service. Uh, of course, we try to raise some money for our uh, uh, sponsor, Child Bongani, in uh, Zimbabwe, in Africa. Uh, so please uh, come for an extended time uh, with us next week. Are you ready to get into God's Word? Excellent. We've been in a a series entitled The Gospel Going Global. We've uh, come to Acts 17 and uh, we've uh, decided because that's the theme verse for our series that we're just going to camp a little while in what Paul writes uh, to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, And so last week we began that journey, 1 Thessalonians 1, and I I finished off at the end how Paul uh, sets each chapter up with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how uh, last week we sort of concluded with him inferencing the rapture. And so this morning we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, if you've got your Bibles ready there. Let me begin by uh, telling you about a uh, young woman. Uh, She was all excited about Saturday night and a big date that she was going to be going on. And so Saturday morning she gets up early, uh, she goes down to the hairdressers, gets a a nice do, she heads off to get her nails done and then she goes and buys a new dress, new shoes. She gets home, she soaks in the tub for a few hours, then she puts a face on as you ladies like to do. She gets the dress on, she's all ready. She's waiting for seven o'clock for the date to arrive. But seven o'clock comes and goes. 7.30 comes and goes. It gets to 8.30 and she decides, that's it, I've been stood up. Goes upstairs, takes her hair out, uh, puts her pyjamas on, comes downstairs, gets in front of the TV with a bucket of ice cream and the dog settling in for a movie that night. When all of a sudden, ding dong, the doorbell rings. She gets up and answers it and there's her date. (gasps) Suddenly his eyes open up and his mouth drops and he says, I'm two hours late and you're still not ready. (laughs) Folks, Jesus Christ is coming again. The question for us this morning is, are you ready? We need to be living in a constant state of readiness. And so this morning I welcome you again to our series, Living Upright in an Upside Down World. Paul visited the church of uh, uh, Thessalonia and uh, today I've entitled the message, Rapture Ready or Left Behind? Every year, I speak on this topic two or three times because this should be the driving force behind why you get up out of bed in the morning. This is what our faith is all about. Everything else in the Bible really is sort of past tense and is now preparing us for that great and glorious day when Christ will come again. Just before we get into the 
message in earnest. I thought I'd show you the video clip of the trailer, Left Behind. If you haven't uh, seen the movie, this one's with Nicolas Cage. It's a, it's a good movie. It's enjoyable. If you'd like to borrow this from me, you certainly can. Or if you're into the Left Behind series, in our book nook, which is just uh, uh, the other side of the uh, kitchen there, we've got all of these Left Behind books. So let's just have a look at this movie trailer before I come back and preach the word. Hi, Mom. Chloe, welcome home. So is everything set for Dad's surprise party? Uh, he got called into work. Can I buy you a coffee? I'm waiting for someone. Uh, My dad. Hi, sweetheart. Hey. Welcome aboard PanCon Flight 257 to London. By time today will be six hours and 30 minutes. I love you. Plane have simply vanished. Chris, let me in! Chris! I know you all want answers, and believe me, so do I, and I'll do my best to get them. I heard some doctors talking. It's not just here, it's all over the world. One of these days the sky's gonna break Chloe, are you okay? Yeah, but Mom and Raimi, they're both gone One of these days the mountains are gonna fall into no! Irene knew this was coming, the way it happened How could she know that? He took them to protect them from the darkest time in the history of this world about would never do something like this we all have a right to know if we're gonna die we're gonna die i have no spoilers no flaps no elevators and if i run this thing dry no reverse thrust i need some room i just really need you to know how much i love you no matter what happens Like the end of the world. One of these days the sky's gonna break and everything will escape. And I'll know. One of these days, church. One of these days. Paul was uh, preaching to the church in uh, Thessaloniki and uh, there he was uh, saying to them that Jesus Christ is going to come again soon. And all those who place their faith in Jesus will be caught up to be with him and be with the Lord forever. That's pretty exciting news, isn't it? You know, you can imagine the church there getting all very excited, but all of a sudden when people started to, to die, the question mark was, what happens to them? What happens to those who die before Jesus Christ comes again? And so Paul writes these words describing the future events. And I think it's always important, you know, to remind ourselves because I, I do think in the lives that we live today, we do need constant 
reminding that we're actually living in the final chapter. We're living in the last days. The Bible actually calls this the last hour of recorded history. The early church, they were living like Christ was expected to return at any moment. I love that. They didn't uh, greet one another with uh, g'day, how you going, good to see you, good morning. No, 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 you know the words, the two Aramaic words that they joined together, Mara and Natha. Maranatha, they would declare to one another, the Lord comes. You know, one pastor one Sunday morning was so committed that that's the way that the church should be today. He declared that from now on, the church starting next Sunday morning had to declare to one another, Maranatha. The next Sunday came and there was two elderly ladies coming into the church and, and one of them was a little forgetful and the other was a little deaf and they could see the pastor coming towards them and, and so the one who was a little forgetful, she says, I, I, I can't remember what the pastor said we were supposed to greet him. The other one said, don't worry, I know exactly what it is. She launched out her hand and said, good marijuana, pastor, good marijuana. That's a... Uh, one way to wait on the Lord's return, isn't it? Let me read the text to you this morning. I'll make a couple of comments along the way and then we'll get into our points. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. He's not bringing everybody back. He's only bringing back those who are born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. According to the Lord's own word. You know, that's a fairly significant statement there. You know, uh, uh, the church, they didn't have the New Testament to uh, look at uh, uh, Christ's words, but they certainly had the Old Testament scriptures, didn't they? And you know, in the Old Testament, we're actually given 1,845 prophecies of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he came the first time, that first Christmas, we've got all of these prophecies about him coming a second time. For every one time in the scriptures that talks about him coming the first time, there are eight scriptures talking about him coming the second time. God doesn't want you to miss this. And in the New Testament, of course, there are 316 verses about the second coming of Christ. So according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And I, I love that because they've always got six feet further to go, haven't they? After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. The verb there is snatched. It's this idea of taken with whoosh force yeah and of course uh, uh, we know that word is rapture 
But the rapture's not in the Bible, is it? It comes to us from when the Bible was translated into Latin, the Latin Vulgate. Uh, the, the Latin word is raptio, and that's where we get the English word rapture. But the great thing about the rapture of the church is that there is absolutely nothing that needs to happen that doesn't stop it from happening right now. A little giggle to myself uh, this morning, thinking to myself, I'll be reading the scriptures and I'll look up and you'll all be gone. I'll let that sink in for some of you. It says, those who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, therefore encourage each other with these words. So Paul's saying the truth about Christ's return shouldn't cause you a confusion, but it should encourage you. Do you remember last, a couple of weeks ago? In courage, to put courage into you to continually to live faithful lives. So today I've built the sort of uh, three points around this word ignorant that Paul uses here. So at the end of it all, God doesn't want anybody to be ignorant about the second coming and the rapture of those in Christ. So firstly, we're not to be ignorant about a prescribed rejoicing. That's point one if you take notes this morning. A prescribed rejoicing. Verse 13 again. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. The uh, Greek word for ignorant, agnosia. It's an important word. It's where we get the English word agnostic. Yeah? Someone who is agnostic is, is someone who doesn't know the whole truth. They don't have all of the facts. They're unaware of all of the different knowledge and information that's available to them. And so that causes doubt, doesn't it? Yeah? Folks, ignorance about the future results in people grieving the present. Remember we talked about we don't want to grieve like those who have no hope. Hope for the Christian faith is having only positive expectations that God will help us. Help us. Were you here last week, you lot? Hallelujah. That's the hope that we have. Thus, living like people with no hope are people who are agnostic. They're sort of wishy-washy about the whole thing. Of course, when it comes to grieving... We've all grieved. We've all grieved many and very different things, and I think it's a natural and normal thing. But there's a very difference between grieving in a hopeless way and grieving with hope. I think uh, we all feel the pain, but those who feel hopeless grieve like it's their fate. We feel the pain of uh, parting, but I think those that uh, uh, grieve without hope, they, they feel that that parting is somehow permanent. I get, that, I get that sense when I, when I attend the graveside of, of different people. They hopelessly expect a gloomy future. Whereas you and I today, we should be expecting a glorious tomorrow, shouldn't we? At any moment, the Lord Jesus Christ should return. And so we should be living those hope-filled sort of lives in the face of other people. I think people without Christ wake up with 
a sense of doom and gloom and a sense of despair and we see that happening more and more in the world today but we we wake up with this sense of today could be my deliverance and I live in this delight and this glory that Jesus is coming again so Paul he's writing to clear up this widespread spiritual ignorance that was around in the church and it was around in the church then and it's sometimes around in the church today He didn't want anyone to be disqualified from meeting the Lord when he says, I want you to know uh, about those who have fallen asleep. According to the Lord's own words, he says. So I want you to understand that when I'm talking about this up here, this is not Andrew's opinion. This is not some sort of uh, theological speculation, but this is special revelation that has been given to us in the Word of God. God does not want you to miss out in the hope of Christ coming again. I think, uh, I think it's true that everybody wants to know what happens when you die, isn't it? I think people have that sort of you know, sense of, you know, can we really know? Even Christian people. I've heard them say, well, you know, Andrew, you can't really know. (gasps) Paul says in the scriptures, yes, you can. He pleads with us not to be ignorant about life after death. Someone said ignorance is bliss. But when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's not bliss. It's just not necessary because we've got this divine revelation. People hate talking about death, don't they? Not me, of course, but you ever brought up death in a conversation? They'll soon leave you all alone. You'll be standing there all by yourself. Now, I know that there are inappropriate times to bring up death. Like when I do a wedding. Until death you do part. Yes. So uh, where do you think that'll end up for you two? Not really appropriate at that point, is it? And yet the most appropriate time, I quite often think, would be at a funeral. So, uh... Uh, What do you think? Where where are they? People don't want to confront that sort of stuff, do they? You know, people live their lives like they're not even going to die. That's the truth of it. No one's making an exit plan. They just hope that they'll hang on for as long as they possibly can. Someone asked me the other day, how many funerals have you done? I said, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40 maybe? I counted 58 funerals I've done uh, in the, what, 19 years I've been here. That's a few, isn't it? I thought that was that seemed like a few to me. I remember uh, back in Port Ferry days as a Presbyterian minister there, the youngest person in his church was 58 at that stage. He'd done eight funerals in one week. Only in one occasion on those 58 times has someone ever approached me and asked the question, I was at the graveside, we did the ashes to ashes, the coffin goes down, that's it, amen. And she raced over to me and said, where is my daughter now? And the Bible says, always, always be ready to give an answer for the faith that you profess. God didn't want her walking away in ignorance, but to know the truth of God's love for her. You know, we... We still hurt, don't we, as Christians? When someone dies, that, that pain, that's, that's, that's real, that's tangible. But we, we grieve with hope. Because, you know, when Christians die, they don't actually die in the, uh, in the way that we think. They actually fall asleep, 
the scripture says. Reminds me of that uh, Sunday school teacher who asked the uh, children, uh, children, why does the pastor want you to be quiet in church? And the little girl raised her hand and said, because some people are sleeping? I don't mind if people sleep in the church. I realise you've got busy lives and there's lots on and, you know, some mums have been up uh, very late at night and very early in the morning and vice versa for a whole lot of other people. I sometimes think, well, you know, look, if they're sleeping, at least they get something out of the message. But that's not what Paul meant here, is it? The phrase fallen asleep actually describes believers who have actually died in Christ. But I want you to know that while the scriptures always talk about believers falling asleep, it's never spoken of of unbelievers. So it's a time when the, the body and soul or the body and spirit are separated. Yeah? You know, uh, it's not soul sleep. When I'm talking about your soul, I'm talking about your mind, your will, and your emotions. They go to be with the Lord, with your spirit. And your body is just simply asleep. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. We prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so in this sense that uh, your body is asleep, it's, it's this idea of no sort of consciousness of what's going on around, yeah? At the resurrection, it will be instantaneously uh, brought back together. The Romans, of course, they hated the graveyard. They thought it was a place of departed spirits, an evil place. It's a place today where the occult gather, isn't it? In order to conjure up uh, evil spirits, in order to try and get in touch with your dearly departed. Of course, that's not biblical. You know that, don't you? Yeah? You know, whenever you uh, uh, grieve the love of a, a lost loved one, uh, there can be that sense of grief that you want to get reconnected in some way. And, and we know uh, that evil spirits will, on the other side, remember we talked about imitating last week? They will imitate your loved ones and present an image of you in, in them in that grief that isn't real and true. Christians are changed as we sleep and our spirit goes to be with the Lord and that's the time when we are waiting on Jesus Christ to come again of course uh, Christians changed all of that scariness about the the graveyard when they actually changed the word to uh, koimaterian and it's where we get the word cemetery and the cemetery just means the resting place or the sleeping place it's a place that's called like the army barracks is the koimaterian, yeah? It's the sleeping place. Uh, soldiers, they don't do anything else in the army barracks except go to sleep. They go to sleep at taps and they wake up again at reveille. And likewise, the body. As a believer, it goes to sleep. And we know a time is coming when the angel will blow the trumpet horn and will come out of our graves. Jesus said in John 11, 11, speaking of his friend Lazarus, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Of course, he wasn't going to wake him to resurrection, but he was going to wake him to resuscitation. So the dead, no, no sense of conscious awareness, but their resurrection will be instantaneous. It's like, uh, have you ever had a good night's sleep? Yeah? You just, boom. 
What's that term we use? I'm dead to the world. These things come to me, thank you, Lord. And then the alarm goes off and boom, I'm up. Yeah? I haven't moved all night. Sheets haven't moved, I haven't turned, I haven't done anything. That's what it's going to be like when, you, when you're placed in the grave, when you die, when your body's laid to rest, however you want to term it. Yeah? You've got this no conscious uh, awareness of what's going on. Your spirit and soul has gone to be with the Lord and he will bring it back again and boom, it'll happen instantaneously. So believers, we grieve with hope because we don't actually say goodbye. When we say goodbye, there's a sense of finality, isn't it? But I just say goodnight. I'll see you in the morning. You know, I've stood at the graveside of a lot of people, Christian and non-Christian people. Did it just this week. Did a funeral on Monday. Non-Christian family. Mate. And I go away and uh, just no hope. No hope. And then, of course, Sam Bellardi passed the glory and we did the funeral on Tuesday. And wasn't that filled with hope? Wasn't that filled with rejoicing? A prescribed rejoicing because we know exactly where Sam is. We know he's a brother in Christ. We know that Jesus Christ is coming again and we're going to be reunited with him. That's what Jesus said in Revelation 2.11. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. See, the first death is physical. The second death is spiritual. A lot of people are worried about physical death. Uh, but I want to say to you, I wish they were as worried about the second death, the spiritual death, because that's the one that's really going to kill them. So, next. We don't want to be ignorant about a promised return. You are no longer ignorant about what's going to happen to the body at death and your uh, spirits. Uh, and so we can rejoice. Now let's have a look at the promised return. Verse 14 and 15. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Folks, this uh, planet is littered with graves, isn't it? You know, the pyramids, the Taj Mahal, uh, the Ming dynasties, you know, the emperors, they have, they have graves that take up about 100 acres of land. I was at the graveside out there at Bendigo uh, this week and, and they just keep more and more and more. I went to one uh, grave of a, a person that I uh, did a funeral for, and I know exactly where a grave is because it's next to the tap. Whoever you want me to find you, you know, so I can get a landmark. Next to the tap. And I looked, and how many more graves have gone in uh, in the last six or seven years since I did her funeral? It's more and more and more, isn't it? More people on the planet. You know, there's a, a grave in Medina. It's the grave of Muhammad. And millions of Muslims will go there and visit the grave because Muhammad is dead. He is stone cold dead. He ain't coming back. 
But that's the distinctiveness of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus doesn't have a grave where we can go and visit because the tomb is empty. He's risen from the grave and that's the great hope of the Christian faith, isn't it? You know, we believe that Jesus has defeated death and so we don't have to be concerned about that anymore. I think it's a concise summary of biblical Christianity. Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God, born of the Virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, was able to live this perfect life free of sin so that he could die on the cross for our sin and he rose again and that resurrection is the receipt that God the Father accepts his payment for our sin. And then I love the whole fact that if Jesus Christ then was resurrected to new eternal life, then we one day are going to have that new resurrected body and live with him forever. Folks, the hope of heaven is that your loved ones, when they die, they are in the presence of the Lord right now. They're with Jesus, and they're going to come back again, yeah? And they're going to be reconnected. Of course, those who are alive when Jesus returns, how many of you are thinking, oh, I hope that's me? You're not going to have a funeral. You're not going to need an undertaker because you've got an uptaker. And you know what? To be honest, I wish Jesus would come again soon. Because I don't want to eat any more party pies. Have you ever done I, 58 funerals? I've had 58 party pies. Every funeral's got a party pie. On the 14th of May 2008, Swiss aviation enthusiast and inventor Ives Rossi, he became the first man. Can you just bring that up? Thanks, Cully. He became the first man in the world to fly with these wings and these four jet engines strapped to him. The inaugural flight was in Bex, uh, Switzerland. It lasted six minutes. This uh, 48-year-old then daredevil, uh, he made his first public flight. He'd been planning this for five years and dreaming of it for much, much longer. He actually stepped out of the aircraft at 7,500 feet he opened up these, what are about three metre wings spanned, and then he dropped like a rock before turning and twisting and gliding. And then suddenly he lets go of the four jet engines and whoosh! 300 kilometres an hour, he goes flying through the sky. The people in the mountains are all cheering and clapping him on. He went on to say this, it's like a second skin. If I turn to the left, I go left. If I nudge to the right, I go right. If anything was to go wrong, the, the wings uh, fold away and he can pull this ripcord where the parachute opens up and he can land safely on the ground. But you know why I bring that up? I was thinking about whoosh, the bodies coming out of the graves. I was thinking that's nothing compared to what we're going to experience as our bodies become airborne. We're not going to need a flying suit to go through the sky. What we're actually going to do is we're going to strip off these earthly suits. So verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's a study of the end times, isn't it? It's called eschatology. But the most important thing you can uh, learn about eschatology is to understand these sequence of events. I read it as one sentence. But a bing, but a boom. We can sort of think that this is all going to happen in one day. But actually, the coming of Christ, it's called the parousia. And it's three events that we know from other scriptures like Daniel is going to take place over a seven-year period. So Paul's speaking there about Christians who are asleep in their graves. Boom! They're going to rise up and meet the Lord when this loud command happens. We know it as the rapture. That's the beginning. Then the second thing that's going to happen is this archangel is going to uh, speak. The archangel we know is Michael. Uh, Daniel tells us in his uh, uh, book, Daniel chapter 12, that the archangel Michael is an angel for Israel. We know that uh, uh, he's going to gather the people of Israel. We can find it in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. Do you remember this whole idea about 144,000? Yeah, that's 12 tribes of 12,000. And then what's going to happen is we're going to have the rise of the Antichrist. And we can read about that from Revelation 6 to 16. And then it's going to happen the Battle of Armageddon. And then we're going to have this thousand-year reign of Christ. So this word command, it's this military term. You know, at the moment, we're sort of like Christian soldiers at ease. But a time is coming when we'll hear that loud command and we'll fall in. And suddenly, with authority and urgency, we're going to understand that this first resurrection is for believers only. What about everybody else? The dead in Christ will be raised. The undead, they're going to stay in their graves until the great white throne of judgment. After the thousand year reign of Christ. Revelation uh, 20 verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So this is the second resurrection. So understand that the resurrection of the dead for those in Christ doesn't matter when they were in Christ, but they will be raised. Whether it was 2,000 years ago or whether it was just this last week. Let me just mention this because people do ask me. There's a lot of superstition in the Christian church. There's a lot of thought around, well, hang on a minute. So we've got to get buried so that we can, boom, explode out of our... Isn't that going to be an awesome sight, wouldn't it, eh? explode and boom, 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 everybody out of their graves. And what happens then if uh, we all get cremated? What's going to happen then? <sighs> People get generally concerned about this. Well, you know, nothing is impossible with God. I mean, let me assure you that, you know, there would have been maybe, say, like soldiers, you know, maybe they stood on a landmine and, and you know, had a leg blown off and, and life's been pretty tough for them. You know, wouldn't you be distraught if you came back in your resurrected body and you still were missing a leg? It doesn't matter whether you've got a few of your molecules down the back of the couch or whether there's a few molecules over the other side of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, the universe. God will put you 
all the way back together. He's going to raise you indestructible, brand new bodies, clothed with immortality, healed, restored in your right minds and raised to life forever, no more to die. So, those still alive, they're going to be caught up in the air. They're going to be raptured with Christ when he comes. Uh, it's not only going to be a time, though, of resurrection uh, of the dead and the rapture of the living. It's also going to be a permanent reunion. That's point three today. Big families? Ever been to a family reunion? Yeah? Everybody gets excited around a family reunion. This is going to be the biggest reunion you've ever seen. Verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. I love those words, together with them. You know, uh, if you've got a loved one in heaven, uh, is it just me? Have you ever sort of imagined the reunion that you would have with them? Yeah? Yeah. You know, uh, you maybe you imagine the pearly gates opening wide and, you know, there they are running to meet you and, you know, big hugs as you walk down the streets of gold and they lead you to your room that's been prepared for you. And, you know, uh, but, you know, if you're still alive, you're not going to meet them in heaven. You're going to meet them in the air. That's going to be something spectacular in itself, isn't it? You're going to meet him in the clouds. You know, whenever uh, in the ancient world there was a king who was going to visit, what they would do is they would throw open the gates. Uh, a delegation would come out and they would greet the king as they came back in to the city. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed forever. The mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. I love that. Don't you love that? That's a great verse to go out with, isn't it, this morning? Death is going to be swallowed up in that victory. If you know Jesus Christ, you're on the victor's side. That word uh, flash, uh, it has the idea of uh, something that, that happens at the very uh, 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 smallest interval imaginable. We, uh, we sometimes talk about things happening in the blink of an eye. Have you heard that? Yeah. It's pretty fast, isn't it? Starting to strobe here, I might have a... If you can blink your eye as fast as that, that's about one four hundredth of a second. But the phrase, a twinkling of an eye, it's actually, uh, Greek scholars actually say, it's the speed to which you can focus on an object, yeah? So, uh... If light has to come into your eye and light travels at around about, uh, what is it, 300,000 kilometres per second, something like that. Yeah, that's pretty quick. And then it's got to go from the front of your eye uh, to the optic nerve in the back of your eye, which is about an inch for you oldies. How much is an inch in your eye? Oh... Well, you're not going to be a mathematician, are you? It's about 25 millimetres, okay? 25 millimetres in an inch. 
And so for the time it takes for the light to hit the back of the optic nerve and go up to the brain, they say it's about 0.6 of a nanosecond. And some of you, I've lost you, haven't I? Why is he telling us that? What's that mean? What's going on here? The amount of people who have said to me over the journey, well, you know, Andrew, if you're right, uh, when the Lord comes again, you know, behold, he comes riding on the clouds. There's this sort of idea, isn't there, that we're all going to be here, we're all going to see it. And yeah, no, actually, you know what? You're right. I think I'll repent and give my life to Jesus Christ. No, you will not. Because it's going to happen in 0.6 of a nanosecond. It's going to happen all of a sudden. The whole idea is that today is the day of salvation and you need to make sure that you are right. Because what did I say at the start? There is nothing that needs to happen in the scriptures today that prevents the rapture from happening right now. It's going to be the ultimate family reunion now, isn't it? Can you imagine you're, you're coming up in the air if you're still here or you're coming down, you know, and you're looking around at all these people. And I know I'm going to look at some and think, how in the world did they get in here? One of my favourite poems. I dreamed death came the other night and heaven's gate swung wide with kindly grace an angel fair ushered me inside and there to my astonishment stood folks I'd known on earth some I'd judged and labelled as unfit of little word worth indignant words rose to my lips but never were set free for every face st showed stunned surprise no one expected me you know believing in Jesus Christ as the son of God who came from heaven to earth born of the virgin conceived of the Holy Spirit lived that perfect life died for you that you might know life and life eternal rose again that guarantee and is coming again. That's the hope that we hang on to as we live our lives today. You know, I hope I can say today that every single one of you, doesn't matter what sort of life you've lived, maybe you've lived a spectacular life here, maybe you've had a great life, I want to say to you the most exciting experience of your life is still to come. In the Christian life, that's why we say the best is yet to come. The best experience of our life has not happened yet. So it doesn't matter what's going on. I know that some of you have had difficult times. I want to say to you, don't give up. You know, remember the church that Paul was speaking to. They were being persecuted. There was tough times. Things weren't going well in the, uh, the world that they lived 2,000 years on, is anything different? The call is still to persevere. So I want you to know that you don't need to worry today about those loved ones that have died in the Lord. And you don't need to worry about your own life if you know Jesus Christ today as Lord and Saviour. The great news for you is that no one can leave here today ignorance of what Christ has come and done for them of what he's going to return to do and what you need to do in order to be safe and secure within your Saviour's fold. You know, what we live for and what we hope for shapes how we live.
We need to make sure that we're living lives that are prepared for the Lord's return. To be rapture ready, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Or you will be left behind as the worship team comes forward. Let's pray.